0: This is Pastor Frank with the Lunch Break Bible Study. 20 minutes, 20 minutes of Bible study in your day. My hope is to get you into the Word and on your way. 20 minutes so you can listen to it on your commute. You can listen to it at the gym or on a walk or on your lunch break. We're going to begin with the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is probably the earliest written gospel that we have. Some people argue that Matthew might be earlier, but Mark is where most scholars believe the gospel began to be written down. Mark chapter 1. One note: I'm beginning here with the uh, new international version, the NIV. So, if you've got a Bible with you, that the NIV is the one I'm using. I have an older version of the NIV. They did some language updates back in early 2000s, I believe. But I have the version from the 1980s. I find it, the NIV to be very readable. There are some there are some translations that may be more technically correct. Uh, they do a better job of maintaining some of the idiosyncrasies of the original languages, but the NIV is pretty good when it comes to being able uh, to be read and understood by most people. So the NIV is what we're going to be using today. So turn to Mark chapter 1 verse 1. It says, "...the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God." Now the word gospel can mean a couple of things. It can mean certainly the story of redemption, the good news, as it comes from the Old English gospel, the good news concerning our forgiveness of our sins, our reconciliation with God, our redemption, and the fact that Jesus has set us free from sin, death, and the evil one. But in this sense, Mark is using it in the sense of the gospel that is the story of Jesus's Ministry, his life, his death and resurrection. And he begins with this one phrase, the Son of God. Now, that's an interesting thing to begin with because what Mark does is at the end, uh, toward the end of his gospel, as Jesus is dying on the cross and after he has died, the centurion looks at Jesus and he says those same words. He says, surely this was the Son of God. And so Mark bookends the story of Jesus, his entire ministry, with these two confessions, that Jesus is the Son of God. And then he gets into verse 2, and from here to the uh, through a lot of chapter 1, what Mark is doing is sort of wrapping up the end of the Old Testament. So as you know, the Old Testament is the Hebrew scriptures, mostly in Hebrew, some of them written in Aramaic. But it's the Hebrew Scriptures describing uh, and, and detailing the the Word of God to God's people up until the time uh, of the exile to Babylon and their return and the time a little bit of the time in between. The Old Testament ends, of course, with Jesus who establishes the New Covenant with us. But Mark wants to wrap up the ministry of the prophets in the Old Testament, and he starts right here in verse two with the prophet Isaiah. He says, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so a little bit from where this is, this is Isaiah chapter 40. And in Isaiah chapter 40, it's the second part of Isaiah's book. So Isaiah is divided roughly into two main sections. Isaiah chapter 1 to 39 are about Isaiah's ministry to people to the people that he is living among. Ministry to a people who had sort of abandoned God, sort of gone their own way and had began to worship other gods around them. And those religious practices brought their brought their moral practices with them. And Isaiah, as God's prophet, had warned the Israelites a time and time again that this was not good. That God had had given them this this land on the condition that they would that he would be their God and they would be his people, and that they would be set apart. They were to be different from the people around them, so that they could bear witness to uh, to God's power, to His mercy, to His love, and to His protection. And the people would not listen to Isaiah. So Isaiah then beginning with chapter 40 of the book, the tone shifts greatly because Isaiah is writing in those chapters to a different audience. So for the first part of Isaiah, mostly, not all of it, but for the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it's a lot of God's uh, judgment on the people of Israel and the surrounding nations. It's a lot of condemnation for for their lack of piety and their lack of trust in him and him alone. But beginning in chapter 40, Isaiah is starting to speak to a people not yet born. He's starting to speak to a people who have yet to exist because they are going to be born in captivity. They're going to be born far away. And he's telling them that their God has not forgotten them and that the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise of a promised land and the promise of a messiah was still to come and that he would not forget his people forever and this is where this passage from uh, in mark's gospel comes from it's from isaiah chapter 40 and so what he's doing is he's saying that the thing that isaiah had promised to those people so long ago is now finally coming to fruition it's finally coming to pass and it says this john came as if there was Anything else that could possibly happen? Mark just says, "Of course, John came because Isaiah the prophet said he would," and that's what John comes and does. And as sort of the last of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptizer uh, is the is begins the fulfillment of all of their ministries. And so John came, and then he does this: he baptizes in the desert region and preaching a baptism. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's a lot of ink spilled about the difference between this baptism and the baptism in the name of Jesus, and you can read a little bit more about that distinction over in the book of Acts, chapter 18. But here, John is performing a washing, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it says in verse 5 that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John. So this is everybody, this is city folk, this is country folk, this is people in the villages and the surrounding uh, towns, this is farmers and shepherds and, and craftsmen and all these people, the whole Judean countryside, come and confess their sins and it says they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now again, like I said, Mark is wrapping up the Old Testament here and the Jordan River plays a big role. In the Old Testament, the first uh, major, major role that it plays is in the Exodus account. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their descendants had been in Egypt. Uh, They were there because Joseph had proven to be so uh, valuable and faithful a servant, Uh, even though some terrible things had happened to him at the hands of his own family, at the hands of a slave master, some terrible things had happened to, to Joseph. But... He had risen above these things. God had been faithful to him and he had been a faithful servant of the Lord. And God had used Joseph in in a wonderful way to rescue his people from famine. But a new Pharaoh comes along, a new king of Egypt comes along that doesn't know Joseph, doesn't know that old dynasty and has no concern about the people of Israel and and treats them cruelly. God rescues the Israelites out of that through Moses. You might have seen the movie or, or you might remember the story. Um, Moses goes and he rescues those people and brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And then he brings them to this land that God had promised to their ancestors. And they get to the Jordan River. And they uh, the Jordan River is on the eastern side of this land. So they had kind of gone around. They had made kind of a loop and come uh, from the west. They had come around to the eastern side of this river, and they were about to cross over, and they send out some spies, and they send out 12 spies. And two of those spies return and say, You know what? This, we can do this. This is a beautiful place. Just like God has promised to our ancestors, we can we can do this. But the other 10 spies looked not at the fulfillment of God's promise, but they had looked at the strength of the people who were there they looked at the they looked at the walls and the cities and the people and they said these these are too numerous and too powerful and we can't possibly do this and so god's people were tested there and they forgot about the way that god had simply washed away pharaoh and all his army they had forgotten about his mighty works that he had done in egypt in order to get them set free and they were afraid and they grumbled and complained and, and were terrified. And God said that he was going to take them away from that land. He said, I took you out of Egypt, but I didn't take the Egypt out of you. So he took them back into the wilderness for that whole generation for 40 years. He says, I'm going to raise up a whole new generation of people who don't, don't know anything except my, my care and my mercy and my love and my protection. And that's what he does. So after 40 years later, Moses himself can't even go in because of, of something that he does. and And so Joshua becomes the new leader of Israel, and he takes that new generation across the Jordan River. So the Jordan River is a is a big, big, big symbolic thing. This is not an accident that John is baptizing people in the Jordan River. He's saying that the time of your fathers is over. The exile of your fathers is done. What what has come before, that's all finished now. Now is the time that God is going to renew, reestablish his people. So he goes into the Jordan River and the people go into the Jordan River. It's, It's not an accident that this is what's going on here. And it's also not an accident of what's going on in verse 6. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So again, this is another piece of John's ministry that's not an accident. It's, it's very important. And this is the description of his wardrobe is supposed to remind us of something. So if you look over at 2 Kings, the book 2 Kings, in chapter 1, the king of Israel sends some servants out there and they run into a guy who tells them to turn around and go back. And so they do. They turn around and they go back and they go to the king and the king says, well, what did this messenger look like? What what was he wearing? And the servants say, well, he was wearing a shirt made of hair a hair shirt and he had a leather belt around his waist and the king of Israel said oh well that must be the prophet elijah so the prophet elijah had a distinctive wardrobe he had this he he wore a tunic made out of hair and he had a leather belt around his waist so when john is standing in the jordan river wearing this hair shirt with a leather belt that's not an accident it's because he sees himself fulfilling Elijah's ministry so not only is he fulfilling Moses's ministry Joshua's ministry not only is he fulfilling the the prophecy of Isaiah but he sees himself as fulfilling Elijah's ministry now what's significant about that is that the prophecies of the Old Testament pointed to someone who would this this Elijah that would return the the prophecy pointed to the fact that Elijah would come back and make ready the people for the Messiah to come. Now you remember Elijah never died. He was taken up into heaven in that fiery chariot, and the prophecy was that he would return and prepare God's people. So John the baptizer sees himself definitely as a continuation of this Elijah ministry, a fulfillment. Why? Because he says this in verse 7. This was his message. After me, will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he be- will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what John the baptizer is saying is that I'm nothing. You're coming here for repentance and to, and to be forgiven of your sins, and that's wonderful and that's good, but, but something bigger and better than me is coming. Someone who I am not even worthy to be this guy's servant. And then verse 9, so just like Isaiah, uh, his prophecy, Mark says, the, Isaiah the prophet writes, and so John comes, the same thing happens in verse 9. John has given this prophecy of one to come after him, immediately after him. And in verse 9, Jesus shows up, just like the prophet said. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And as Jesus was then coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So a couple of things. Again, this is fulfillment time for the Old Testament. This is Jesus is beginning his ministry, but he's also, like John, he's wrapping up everything that the Old Testament had been pointing toward. All the promises of the, of the future Messiah to come. This was all happening right now. And Jesus is coming up out of the water, and then it says he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. Now, a couple of things going on here. First, again, we're going back to that those ideas from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 64, toward the very end of his book. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. So Isaiah is talking about God's people. He's talking about them being in exile, and he wants God's people to experience God's power again. He wants the world to see the power of the God of Abraham. He wants the world to see how powerful this Yahweh is, and he wants it to be powerful. He wants it to be flashy and big and thunderous and everything else. So this idea that the heavens are going to rend open they're going to rend open, is wonderful. This is Isaiah's idea that the power of God is coming. But the power of God is displayed in Jesus' ministry, not the way it was displayed in Moses' ministry. It's the same power. It's the same God. But in Moses' ministry, this power of God on the, on, the, on the Mount Sinai with the thunder, and the people are terrified of the voice, and they don't want to hear it anymore. They say, Moses, you go talk to him because we can't listen to his voice. We're going to die if we hear this. Now the, the, the heavens are rended open, and the power of God descends. And this time, it descends in peace. The Spirit of God descends like a dove, peaceful and comforting, not in judgment, but in mercy. So a couple of more things before we get to the end of, this, of our time together today. First, the Spirit comes in the form of a dove, and that is, that is a little new. That's not something we're used to. The Spirit of God uh, is not ever seen in the, in the Old Testament as taking physical form, and certainly not in the form of, of this bird. Where does this idea come from? The, the Spirit of God comes later in the book of Acts. It comes with a mighty rushing wind and flames of fire, and, and the people are speaking in tongues. But here the Spirit chooses to come uh, looking like, like a dove. And why is that? What, is, what image does the Spirit want to give us? So certainly uh, peaceful and graceful and, and all these things. What God is doing here is He is announcing a new beginning. He is announcing that the time has come to make all things new. And the reason I say that is we have to look at the significance of the dove in the Old Testament, at least in one place, and that is on Noah's Ark. So if you remember the story of Noah, Noah is a man who the Lord says, I am sending a judgment on the world. The whole place is wicked, but Noah, you are faithful to me. You believe my promises. You know that I am uh, I am the God of all creation. And for that reason, you, I am going to rescue you. And I am going to reestablish the world from you. So Noah, of course, you know, story builds the ark, right? And then the animals come in two by two. And, and uh, 40 days and nights, it's raining. And they're on that boat for almost a year. And it's finally time to get off. And what does Noah do? He opens a window and he sends out a dove. And the first time, the dove finds no place to... And no place to roost and no place to land, and it comes back empty, and so he waits, and then he sends it out again, and this time it goes out and it comes back with an olive leaf, an olive uh, twig, and Noah knows that the waters have receded from the earth, and then the third time he sends out the dove, the dove finds a place to nest, it finds a place to be, and it stays, and then Noah knows that the time of judgment has come to an end, and it's time for God's people to to exit and to reestablish. So this story uh, of this dove, wonderful, wonderful story, but I, I believe that that's the image that we are supposed to see, that God intends us to see when the dove comes and rests on Jesus, is that... This idea that the judgment time is over for God's people. They have paid double for their sins. Their warfare is over. And now this John the Baptizer has come to fulfill the prophe- prophecies of Isaiah, to fulfill the ministry of Moses and Joshua, to fulfill the, the prophecy that Elijah would return. The Isaiah's prophecy that the power of God was coming down in mercy. And a voice comes from heaven in verse 11 You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And here you have the Father bearing witness as to who Jesus is. You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, this is for the the people's benefit. I mean, Jesus knows who he is. He doesn't need the Father to announce this. Jesus knows who he is. But this is for the people who are standing nearby. This is for John the Baptizer. This is for all the crowd that's come from the Judean countryside, that's come from Jerusalem. This is for everybody to hear because they need to know who Jesus is. But also, they need to know who they are. Remember, this is a people that had been living at least in partial exile for hundreds of years. They have not had a prophet in Israel for hundreds of years. They had come back from Babylon, but they had never been able to reestablish the nation as God had promised he would. They had never been able to put the son of David back on the throne of Jerusalem. So here it's not just that Jesus is the son of God. It's also that he is looking again at Israel, all of Israel. And as Jesus now becomes all of Israel, standing in that Jordan River, righteous, having the Holy Spirit, Jesus is truly Israel in one person. And what God is saying about Jesus, is also saying, he is also saying about all his people. The time for judgment is over. It is time for a new beginning. We are his children, and with us he is well pleased. And that's where we're going to end today. Like I said, I'm Pastor Frank from here in Kansas City. This has been the Lunch Break Bible Study, and I hope this has been helpful for you. And I want you to have a wonderful rest of your day.